Trigger warning. Trigger warning. If you do find this not helpful at the moment, don't feel like you have There's to There's any keep... pressure to listen yeah. whatsoever. Know that Georgia and I care about you and that we love you and that we want what's best for you. Yeah. And this podcast is not aiding you in your recovery and your mental state and how your day is going. Please do not feel any pressure or need to listen to it. Yeah, just take care of yourself. Just take care of yourself. Also, Georgia and I are not professionals at all no. when it comes to like we're, We don't have degrees in this. No, we're not. We not. No, <laughs> no, we are just two girls who are recovering from eating disorders themselves, wanting to share our stories and shed some light on some topics that may be harder to talk about. There will also be many resources in our description box. So if there's any point during this episode, any point at all that you feel like that you need that little bit of extra support, no, there's no judgment. There's nothing wrong with you needing that and that feel free to use them and that we support you and that we are so proud of you. Yes. Yeah. Picture me this. I'm here. We eat the fucking food. We eat the fucking food. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome back to another episode of We Eat the Fucking Food. My name is Lauren and today we're joined by a very special guest. We have Samantha with us. Hello. (laughs) Hello, hello. We're so excited because we've been planning this for, I would say like around like a month now. I think it's a super interesting topic. We're going to be talking about eating disorders, specifically on the internet, and how they fuel disordered eating, but there's also a good side of it. And Samantha has some experience in it. And I think that getting the knowledge from someone who has been on both sides is going to be a super interesting topic to delve into. But before we do that, why don't you introduce yourself to the podcast, talk about who you are, what your diagnosis is, and what your recovery story is up to this point. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've been anorexic since 2013, um, was diagnosed in 2018 and I started recovery. Um, it will be three years and two days actually. Wow. Which is very oh, fun. Congratulations. Um, congratulations. That's a huge yeah. milestone. No, I'm so, I'm so excited. Um, are you celebrating in any way or no? I think that we might do a little dinner at home, do but it. like, it's also in the middle of a work week. So mm-hmm. like both of my housemates are working. So like, mm-hmm. eh. um, But no, it's definitely, it has been a road. Like I call the first year of my recovery recovering, but like there still was like substantial milestones where I was still engaging in like mild restriction, but I was just slowly tuning back how much restriction I was engaging in. But when I was disordered, I spent a lot of time on um, like eating disorder community chats where when I talk about this, I had mentioned this to you privately. I want to make sure that I'm not disclosing the explicit names of social medias uh, in the way, like, just use an example that doesn't exist. I wouldn't be like, oh, I was on Gmail in, like, mm-hmm. 2013 and did XYZ just because I don't think that that's constructive. Yeah. Um, but I started in, like, a messaging chat that was pro ED. And then within recovery, I've entered and am moderating in um, like forums and servers it's, that are 100% recovery focused. Um, no, not, not even mentions of like numbers are allowed in that, even in a positive connotation. And so that's been most of my experience, just living through it and contributing negatively and then getting out of it and contributing positively. Nice. Oh, I'm so excited to talk about that. <laughs> I love it, love it, love it. We're so happy that you're here and I'm so grateful to have your thoughts on this episode. So we're going to do what we always do. We're going to catch up with how our week is going and ease into it. So Samantha, what's the high of your week this week? The high of this week, 
uh, was definitely getting out of COVID quarantine mm-hmm. and getting to see, cause my uh, former housemate came to visit and she's here right now. And so the whole time I was like speaking to her through the window and we were like playing on our switches across the wall, but now I get to spend time with her, uh, which is very much my highlight. I love that. The high of my week would probably be that my old roommate from freshman year is staying with me the whole entire week, like this yeah. week. So we're kind of like reliving our like slumber party moments and being like roommates again, just for the week. But I'm just so grateful that she's here. I love it. Like we were we up to like one o'clock last night, just like giggling our like minds off even though we both had to be up like early this morning but it just like brought back so many like nostalgic memories of rooming together so that's my high again i always feel like every single time i ask what the low is i'm always like to damper literally the mood but like if you had to pick a low of your week what would the low be so it would definitely be having covid Mm. (laughs) okay that makes sense You know, that was fun. Um, No, honestly, it kind of turned into like a medium high afterwards, just because as an immunocompromised person, I was like, I'm going to get clapped by COVID. And like, I kind of did, but then I got over it. That's good. Yeah. Did you have symptoms then? Was this your first time having it? Yes. It's my first time having it. I was very symptomatic. Mm. Um, I was throwing up, which I didn't realize was a thing with this current variant. Mm. Apparently this one fades more into like flu symptoms as well. So that was not fun. And everyone in my house was very stressed. Oh. But now I have it out of the way and I can't get go. it. Through. There you go. Now you're safe for how many months is it? Like three? I think now it's like because the variants are modifying so much. It's only like one to three, but like I'll take what I can get. They yeah, want to yeah, get immunity i'll take it <laughs> i'll take it the love of my week i don't know if you can tell over the zoom call but i got burnt i'm so burnt right now it's so bad <laughs> it is doing you so many favors right now <laughs> yeah it, it's really i have like i'm putting in work <laughs> i put like i have like some sunglasses where it's like under my eyes are still like really really pale but then the rest of my face and like all of my only my upper body there's like a straight line down my side because i decided oh, to no. only lay on my back yeah and I got, I got pretty burnt, but my thought is, I did play myself. Yeah. But the thought is I'm like, I have to burn to tan. So I'm fingers crossed. I have like aloe. I'm like praying this turns into a tan. So I hope so. What went well this week for you in recovery? I mean, having COVID, I feel like when I had COVID twice throughout my like time, one of the times was when I was really struggling. The other time was when I was in PHP and we went online, but just like, I know that recovery and COVID or recovery and just being sick can sometimes impact that. So what went well for you this week in your recovery? Uh, one thing that went well is I, when like I had been symptomatic for a day before I tested positive and I was very transparent with my housemates. I was like, Hey, Food intake is going to be weird while I'm sick because anytime my throat is depositing phlegm into my stomach, I'm nauseous. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was also worried that I was going to have like modifications to my sense of taste and smell. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that could be a big appetite killer. So I was just, one thing that went well is I was just very on top of that, where I communicated that that might be an issue. I was like, everyone hold me accountable. I will hold myself accountable. Like we're just going to get through it. And I also was able to keep in the mindset of like, I want this to be over as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm not doing everything possible to nourish my body in this situation, that's not going to happen. Yeah. Nice. Oh my gosh. So proud of you. That's because it can be like super hard. And I feel like even beforehand, recognizing that like this may be something that could signal like a lapse or just like trip you up a little bit, but you were like on top of it. Heck yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah. When well recovery for me was that I, this week, realized, so I recently moved to Chicago, and I realized that I was feeling quite insecure about the move and about just 
I, I think I was feeling insecure about the move and started projecting it on like my worth and on my body and on such mm-hmm. like that. And I kind of got into a very like borderline like self-destructive, like not even within my recovery, but within my relationships with people. So I think recognizing that almost like the eating disorder and the behavior and the urge started to increase and understanding that like knowing the knowledge that I have, being able to recognize that there's a bigger picture behind it and taking those couple moments to reflect and to really try to figure out what the root of those urges and behaviors were coming from. So I'm proud that I recognize that and that I still consistently fueled myself throughout the week. So that's almost my plus. It's just because behaviors happen doesn't mean you have to, or that just because the urges happen doesn't mean you have to act on them. And sometimes that's stronger than like not having them at all. So no, I wholeheartedly agree. And that's really good insight to have in real time. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, so yes. Yeah, so to dive into today's episode, because I'm so excited to talk about this. And I just like want to hear everything about your experience within it, because I know that the internet can be a nasty, nasty place for eating disorders, specifically when it comes to romanticizing them. Like even like during the pandemic, some of the media that I was digesting was like, so pro eating disorder and like not like deliberately but yeah, it very, was just pro diet culture where it's, it's like oh avoid the quarantine 15 literally that was like everything on tiktok it was always what i eat in a day everybody was obsessed with the chloe ting workout challenge and it was yeah. like oh my goodness this is all we're just like surrounded by this disordered culture and that can be such a negative effect of media but i think it's so interesting because i've always I was never part of i guess like the eras when eating disorders were like very popular on sites such as like groups and like messages in that sense. So kind of, would you feel comfortable explaining almost like how you got into that? Yeah. So technically my first experience with like pro ED media was a reblogging site in like 2013 or 2014. I was in late middle school at the time Mm -hmm. and it was right when like the rise of like the aesthetic girl thinspo was really big where it's like the legs holding the coffee cup, that kind of stuff. And at the time I didn't register it as what I would now recognize as like thin spo or like disordered images. I was just like, oh, they're so pretty. And like at the time I was feeling weird about my body since I'm very tall Mm -hmm. and I was taller than everyone else in my school, including the guys. Um, I didn't like my body in comparison to the smaller bodies I saw around me. Um, and so that kind of flipped something in my brain, but I didn't, I wasn't posting on those sites. I didn't regularly check them. It was just, I was aware of their presence. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I got to college in 2018 where I really found out about sites. Um, a friend that I had made who is the former housemate who I have visiting right now, Mm -hmm. who is now also in recovery at the time we met when neither of us were in recovery. And I was mostly just engaging in disordered behaviors independently up until that point. Even though my behaviors had gotten really severe, I wasn't acknowledging that I had an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, it's fine. Like, I just get like nauseous. Like, I just, my stomach can't handle a lot of volume, which like those are true statements, Mm -hmm. but I was weaponizing that truth to engage in disordered behaviors. Um, And so once I had come to terms partway through the semester where I'm like, okay, it is a problem. Like when I start like missing classes for it and like getting unexplained illnesses because my immune system is tanked, like I have an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, She had mentioned that there was a like form site that she was on and she's like, oh, you might like it. Like I I think it's kind of chill. I just pop on there every once in a while. 
And I essentially just started using it as kind of like a diary more than anything else, Mm -hmm. just because it didn't have super good chat functions. Like there was just one overarching chat and then like the individual forms. But like, I mostly would just post on my page, post how I was doing. Like if I had like a weight loss I wanted to share, if I had like an event related to my eating disorder that like was stressing me out, I would just post about it. And like maybe one or two people would see it and that'd be it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was it through the first semester of college. And I had had a mini recovery uh, back half of that first semester, fall 2018, because I got mono two UTIs and a kidney infection. Oofda, oofda. Yeah. We love, I feel like and every time anybody like goes to college, everything hits like no, at once. Like everybody in the dorms, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I also was like tanking my immune system. It was just a perfect storm. Yeah. And so I was like on my deathbed. And so in order to not have that be the case, I was like, I just can't focus on the eating disorder right now. I just need to like buckle down, do what I need to do to get better. And then once I'm better, I can deal with the, if I want to engage in the behaviors again. Mm -hmm. And so the beginning of the next semester, I was like, okay, health is together. It's disorder time. Um, And I had been talking with my former housemate and she had mentioned that she on a site that's just like a normal social media site, there was a category where like people would make different accounts to engage in the eating disorder space on that site, Mm -hmm. where it's like they wouldn't do it on their main account where like all their friends are, Mm -hmm. but they would be making these separate like eating disorder accounts to catalog their eating disorder. And she was like, I I use that if like you want to follow it. And I was like, okay. Um, and she had mentioned in passing that other sites like that existed. Uh, one of them was like a different reblogging site where I had an account, but I didn't really use it. And I was just poking around in that space. Again, I wasn't really creating content. I was just consuming content. And I saw that someone posted a link to a group chat and they were like, oh, if you want to like have a community to hold you accountable, join this group chat. And so I was like, okay, I'll do that. I have the app that they're referring to. I haven't used it in years, but I'll use it right now. Um, And I really got into the eating disorder community on there. They had a means with which I would every single day just go through the list of chats that they had where like people would just be talking about random stuff. And I would just look for all the ones that looked like eating disorder chats and I would join all of them. And I would post my stats every day in all the chats. I would create content if people wanted it. Like some of the chats, people would like ask for people to make memespo, which for those who don't know, it's essentially just like really aggressive language, really like fat phobic language that furthers the eating disorder thoughts that are telling you that you aren't good enough to eat. And it's having like a, a physical material version of that. And I would, I would also help if they would want someone to hold them accountable, where they'd be like, oh, I want to engage in this behavior, but I don't want to do it alone. I think that I'm going to like give up doing it partway through. I'd be like, okay, I'll do it with you. Easy. Um, and that I did that for upwards of eight months until it had reached the point where I wasn't engaging with anyone who wasn't in those chats. And so I was essentially just engulfed in these spaces. All I could do was I could think about when I was next going to communicate with those people. They would support me. They would hype me up. 
I would lose weight. It was like a victory for the community. I would post a body check where I'm looking really good. Everyone's like, okay, queen, okay, body goals. When like, I'm like obviously malnourished and like my skin is like completely dead of color. Um, And it was just, but these people were so nice. And at a certain point, I became an admin in some of these chats because I'm moderately well-versed in technology. And the, the messaging app that we were using has like a very rudimentary capacity for bots, not the kind of stuff that we see in stuff like Discord now, where it's just like, it is fundamental. Like there was a singular bot that if you knew how to use it, you could mess around with it. Um, And so I would make that so that people could log their stats in the bot. And then if you just ask the bot, it's like, oh, like show me Sam's stats. It would share the stats that I put in. Oh, and and like, and and everybody, it was like a huge like group stats of, wow. Yeah. And so, um, I, in getting involved with being an admin, I was added to like separate admin chats and I became close with some of the people in it. Some of them who like, I still talk to, to this day. Mm -hmm. And like, we have all entered our own respective recoveries and like, don't share any like potentially triggering media amongst ourselves. Um, and so like firsthand, I can see how good of a community can come out of the pro ED spaces. Mm -hmm. But one thing that I kind of lost sight of when I was sick that I really had to come to terms with early in my recovery and was probably one of the biggest barriers that I needed to go through was that I was objectively doing harm to other people. And I I justified it when I was doing it, when these people were like triggering themselves on my body checks, these people were like asking for us to like create meanspo, sweetspo, any kind of thing that encourages one to further themselves in their disorder. Mm -hmm. And I was doing it because I'm like, well, they want me to do it. Or like they want an antibody, like they want me to do it. And like, I I was a teenager. Um, Yeah, you didn't know any better. And it's like, especially when you're in the disorder, the competition that is rooted in eating disorders and the comparison that's rooted in them, it probably just felt like the normal, almost like language around, like almost kind of like the thinspo and like the antibody, how that's like the language around it and that's normalized. Also the behaviors then also become normalized and it's hard to recognize yeah. them as not being those disordered things. Yeah, but then when you come out of it and you're like, well, they were also like kids. Yeah. And I know for a fact that like multiple of them came to me like in real time and were like, can you like, give me advice on how to be as good at this as you are. And at the time I was like, oh, I'm just, I'm so much better than them. Like this is just like, this is the biggest flex. Of course I'll help them. I would love to mentor them. But like now when I look back at it, it's like, that's so gross where it's like in order to make myself feel better and feel like I was being a service to the greater disorder, I was making other people worse. And like, there's really no way to get around that. Like there's no way to cut it where I wasn't engaging in destructive behavior to other people. Mm -hmm. And that's something that like when I was in it, and one thing that I hear a lot in online spaces is that it's the sense of community and understanding within those, not necessarily pro-ED even, but just not recovery exclusive spaces mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, these people don't want to be isolated. There's something incredibly socially isolating about your disease when it takes over everything that you can think about. You're just hyper fixated on your food and your body at all times, mm-hmm. where if the other people around you aren't willing to entertain that, you get so lonely. And those spaces have other people who are also dealing with that hyper fixation. Mm-hmm. And 
it makes you feel like you're no longer alone. And while I agree that we don't want people to feel isolated, and there has been good arguments I've seen made online that people are at more risk for like suicidal ideation Mm -hmm. when they're lonely. They are at more risk to engage in like severely destructive behaviors, like life-threateningly acutely destructive, Mm -hmm. if they do not have a support system around them. But one thing I think is kind of missed in that, which is like, in my opinion, the critical nuance of the conversation is maybe they need to be lonely. Yeah. And I say that in the kindest way as someone who was also profoundly lonely before I found these groups. But when I was engaging with these people, I was missing one of the biggest symptoms of my disorder, which is the feelings of isolation that it generates, where I essentially was just putting a Band-Aid on that symptom, which allowed me to get further in my disorder, mm-hmm. completely removing the fact that like, I was getting tips from people or that I was being directly encouraged by people to get sicker. Even just having people who are willing to entertain you being fixated on your disease at all times doesn't give you the consequences that come with furthering that disease. Yeah. And so I think that there is a space where obviously, especially in the early recovery, late eating disorder stages, right? When they hit that crossover into recovery, Mm -hmm. a person needs a lot of support. And like, if they don't have that social community to hold them up, it's going to be significantly more difficult for them. But I don't think that spaces where people are like, I don't plan on recovering in like the foreseeable future. And like, if you want to recover, like, that's great for you. Like I'm pro recovery for everyone, but not for myself. Oh my gosh. Uh, There's so many people just like that in like general too. Yeah. And that mindset just, yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's like a whole different side of that, which I also take issue with is the people who make that argument where it's like, I'm pro recovery for everyone, but myself but they then post on a public social media platform with an algorithm. Yeah. And it's like, okay, if other people can unconsentingly stumble upon your content, like if they can just get recommended it by whatever app you're posting on and you're posting super triggering content, if it was truly just for yourself, you could put it on private. Yeah. Or like if it was truly just for yourself, you could go through like the rigorous process of like putting adequate content warnings on everything. Mm -hmm. If you like knew the harm like behind it or were like aware of the damaging. Yeah. And so like, in my opinion, the pro for everyone but yourself doesn't really hold a lot of weight. It's mostly just people not being able to fully parse through the internalized fat phobia that comes with a lot of restrictive eating disorders, just because I've mostly seen that sentiment from the restrictive eating disorder community, Mm -hmm. um, where you cannot truly, from a majority of cases be pro-recovery for everyone but yourself if the things that you are afraid of of yourself is being fat yeah or experiencing life in a average size body or above mm-hmm. when that's the exact same thing you're telling other people that they should want and then when you engage in less disordered behaviors you tell yourself you don't have enough willpower mm-hmm. and it's like well do you think that the other people don't have enough willpower it's the same sort of energy as like when there's a mom that's like, I would never insult my child's body, but like, I'm going to talk shit about my body that looks mm-hmm. exactly the same. The one, the and one almond a day mom. But then be, the yeah, but be like, it doesn't apply to you. I love your body. And it's like, we have the same body. Yeah. And so how can you love mine, but then spew this hateful rhetoric about yours and expect that it won't impact me? Yeah. How did 
you then obviously, I mean, one of my questions was how did it fuel your eating disorder? But I feel like you just spoke very eloquently about that. <laughs> how did you then realize the harm that it was doing and the, like the damage and the fueling of even like others eating disorders and then almost like get out of that? And like, how did that affect your recovery? Because I feel like you have to one, accept that you need to recover, but I feel like accepting then that other aspect of it and that whole other entity of your eating disorder, like not to put an eating disorder and be like, oh, you had your own eating disorder, but your own eating disorder, but you almost had like a community eating disorder as well. So it's like you had to recover from like two separate things. So how did those factors like play in together? One thing that was extremely helpful was before I had fully subscribed to the recovery mindset, let alone completed the weight restoration process and like it, let alone the years of psychological repairment that was done following that. Mm -hmm. I left the groups first and it was because my partner who I'm still with, but at the time we were like about to enter a break because of the consequences of my eating disorder. Mm -hmm. Um, but he had given me the ultimatum where he's like, I know that like forcing someone into recovery is not constructive. And so I'm not going to like force you to start eating completely normally, but you need to get off the groups. I'm like, if you cannot delete this app, we cannot be together. Like I cannot sit and watch you continue to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I've gone into all of my chats and I've been like messaging. I've been like, I will be back in like a month. Like I just need like a month to like cool shit down around me mm -hmm. and then I'll be back. And so ultimately I never went back um, because once I was out of it, I realized that there was a level of deceit that would be necessary to continue using the apps that didn't match with like the previous standards of transparency I had had within my relationship. Mm -hmm. And it would, have, it would have given me away almost immediately if as someone that was very open, I don't care if people look up something on my phone. Like if one of my friend's phones is in the other room, I'll just let them use my phone. Like I do not care. Yeah. Um, and so to immediately be like, oh, actually, no, no one can look at my phone. Like this is, this is secret now. Mm -hmm. Given the ultimatum I was given, I, it would be very obvious I was back on the chats. Yes. And so, but I, I was fully of the mindset for several months that I would eventually relapse again. Even if it wasn't in the media space, I would still do it. Mm -hmm. And that separation from the community, I think was really key because once I severed that part of it and like started engaging in recovery behaviors with the people that I had in real life at college, mm -hmm. um, everyone was on board because you reach a level of sickness where even if you think that you're hiding it from everyone, you aren't mm -hmm. like if your behaviors are weird and erratic and like it had, re it had reached the point where I was in mild psychosis for like three months where like I was hallucinating and like having psychotic episodes and it was re it was not great uh and so as much as I was like oh I shielded that from everyone I handled that burden on my own they still see it yeah and so once they saw me engaging in recovery centric behaviors everyone around me was fully on board and we're like we want to see you keep doing this like we're going to give you this sense of community for the recovery process so that you feel supported oh. and that started with like a handful of friends. But like, once I realized how beneficial that was, I was able to communicate to those around me. And I did this in a careful way because my family doesn't actually know that I've ever had like any issues with disordered eating, let alone like really? eating disorder. Okay. Because my family is very 
medically anxious. Mm-hmm. And so if there was an additional medical thing to throw into the mix, they would have just pulled me out of college. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's a firm bottom line for me where it's like, I will not do this if it directly jeopardizes my academics. Mm-hmm. And so I had told everyone that wasn't my family. I was like, Hey, <laughs> y'all all know I was sick for a few years, but we're bringing it back. Um, I need everyone to hold me accountable to not be stupid and engage in these behaviors again. And I set the allowance with those around me that I want positive feedback when I do things I'm supposed to do. And I want allowance for a little bit of negative behaviors, but I need firm bottom lines. If I fully spiral back in, like full, like people just cutting contact and being like, if you're going to engage in these behaviors, I'm not going to sit there and watch you do it for most of the people in my life who I cared about. Mm-hmm. And most of them were very receptive to that request because they wanted to see me be better. And mm-hmm. so I got through a majority of like the weight restoration process just on that alone. And then I got uh, concussed, which was a whole different element and like lost a large part of my support system, like my partners, some of my friends in the aftermath of that concussion. Mm. But I had enough of a foundation with those that I was around where I knew that I still needed to, at the bare minimum, get enough nutrients to get by. Where like, even if I had moments where it was like, I was sick to my stomach because the concussion was bothering me and... I was sad because a bunch of my friends left. Um, I still was doing the baseline necessities to consume. Mm-hmm. So you te- like theoretically almost you like swapped those communities. Like you built yourself a different community that was pro recovery versus your yeah. pro ED one. Yeah, that makes sense, and that led you to then being able to recover within that sense of community. So I can assume that community is a big part of your recovery. And do you, do you think that, cause I would agree that a lot of my recovery, I feel like is very much supported in external relationships that I have with either people I met in treatment or my family or my friends and being able to share that and ask for that help and the larger community and this podcast, honestly, this community that we've created on here helps me like tremendously. Do you think that community is one of the largest aspects of recovery in both, in both ways too, in like fueling it and Yeah. And I think that that's like the real tricky dichotomy with community within eating disorders. And the best way to describe it is that the right community is critical in one's recovery, Mm -hmm. but it has to be the right community. You can't have, because mind you, not everyone will respond as well to the firm bottom line mindset as I did. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just something that I recognize had worked well for me in like smaller instances in the past where if someone gives me a firm consequence, I will not cross that boundary. Mm-hmm. And so I implemented that, but it takes the insight to know what will work for you at the bare minimum for like a month or two. It doesn't need to be a long-term recovery approach, but you need to find a community that is willing to implement that in a way that is fostering your recovery and not triggering you. And you found that new community also online, as you said, that you switched to be a pro recovery. Yes. And so one thing I will say is I did not go to recovery internet spaces for almost a year Mm -hmm. after there was like a year period where I did nothing online because I knew personally that if I allowed myself in the online spaces up until that point, that it would be detrimental. Mm -hmm. And I also was in between treatment teams 
And so I didn't want to make any choices that could spiral me backwards if I didn't already have a foundation with the new treatment team. Mm-hmm. I was like, I can't just come in there with a crisis and expect it to go wrong. Yes. And so I was like, I'm just going to put that off, just focus on myself, heal my relationships. Because part of the recovery process is also healing with the people in real life who you're, yeah. your absence mentally and physically have harmed. Mm-hmm. And so, so I had a lot of legwork that I needed to do to make amends with the people that I cared about in real life. And so that was my top priority more than creating a new space online where it's like gaining the trust back of my friends. Um, and once I had done that in coupled with the pandemic and like the switch towards online community within that, Mm -hmm. I had talked to my team, uh, specifically my therapist. And I was like, Hey, I'm kind of having urges for the sense of community that I had with the disorder. Cause at this point, while I had been in recovery for like a year, mm-hmm. food was still a majority of what I thought about where it's like the physical recovery was there, but the mental recovery had hit a plateau around to the point where it's like, I had started it like deep in the disorder with like counting every single calorie down to like the decimal. Mm-hmm. And I just started increasing the inaccuracy of those measurements where it's like you go from like every number to like every 50 numbers to every hundred numbers to like every 500. And I couldn't get past that final barrier of just no longer processing how much I was eating. Mm -hmm. And so even if it was an inaccurate estimate, I was still very conscious of my food intake and my body movement. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want people who understand that, but I'm, I don't want to fully spiral into the unhinged, like fully disordered ED internet spaces. Mm-hmm. And she had recommended that I look on a couple of form sites for pro recovery spaces that are not triggering. And I had found one that could be good and I joined it. And I remember being really frustrated because I was trying to find the space of accepting the fluctuations of how my body looks, especially in like clothing. Mm -hmm. That was one thing that was, I was really struggling with feeling comfortable with my body looking different than it did before in like the same pieces of clothing. And so I would just make an outfit and I'd be like, Oh, this outfit is cute. And I'm trying to feel good about myself in it. And I would go to like, just post the outfit, like a completely covered up outfit in the chats, like no, no posing, no, contortions to make any sizes of different body parts apparent. And I went to post it in just like the regular like photos chat. And I've been like, actually, can you move that to body checks? And I was like, but it's not, but you recognize that it's not a body check, right? Like you recognize that that's just me showing you like my outfit. And I'm like, yeah, but any photo where a user's body is in it should go in the body check channel. And I was like, but I don't want to go in the body check channel. Like, I don't want to have to go in there and trigger myself to post this photo and then have everyone view it in comparison to a bunch of sick bodies and then one recovering body and then a bunch more sick bodies. Uh Like, I don't want that experience. And they were like, we get where you're coming from, but like, that's a bummer. Yeah. (laughs) And so I was like, okay, um, don't love that. So I, I left that community and I mentioned to one of the admins, I was like, if you ever want to make a space, because I, I made servers within COVID for friends, like back when like Among Us was a thing, I made us like an Among <laughs> yes. Us 
Um, all my friends played that. All my friends played that when I was. It happened. Among Us. Among Us. Though ha- it happened when I was in res though. So I literally like during the, the, the gap that it was super popular. I had no clue what it was. So I, I got out and all the teens at the PHP program were playing Among Us, and I was like, I have absolutely <laughs> zero clue what this is. I felt so out of touch. Sorry, that was a tangent. No, I would sob like as as a board game bitch. I, as soon as Among Us got big, I was like, that's just a social deception game. This is a socially acceptable social deception game. And so I like full sent out, I was like, every one of my homies is going to play Among Us. <laughs> but I had had experience making those servers. Mm-hmm. And so I had told the admin, I was like, if you ever want to make a space that's really just recovery, let me know. And like, I can see if I can help with that. And Several months went by. It wasn't until like the beginning of the following year, like late winter 2020, where they reached out to me and they were like, hey, actually, we do want to make a survey like that. Like we're now at the point in recovery where we just want to fully focus on a recovery safe space. And like that's not excluding people who don't, who aren't fully in recovery or not fully mentally in recovery. Uh, but are physically there or people who are just figuring out what recovery could look like. Mm-hmm. It's not like you you need to wave a banner where it's like, I've been recovered for at least a year. So now I get to join the server. Um, but I found that it's really helpful to have even just like a casual community of talking about common interests that aren't related to your disorder within mm-hmm. the lens of people who, um, have a disorder as well, just because the, your whole worldview and perception is impacted by your disorder, even in recovery. And so being able to connect with people about non-eating disorder things who understand your lived experience is what I think a lot of people in like the, the full eating disorder social media are looking for, or at least saying that they're looking for. Yeah. So Another question that I have just like based off of the conversations that we've been having is I feel like that there was such a trend and there is a trend. And again, I feel kind of hypocritical saying this because I do the same exact thing, but like people post so much about their recovery on social media apps, be that Instagram, be that TikTok, be that literally anything. And I know that there's so many different thoughts about it of people being like, oh, it's great. Like I love to see it. I know that it's helped me at times in my recovery being able to compare in a non like judgmental and a like eating disorder comparison way, but almost just like that support that like I'm doing the right thing in my recovery. But also times I have gone to it to fuel my own behaviors and to like acknowledge them and like look at what I eat in a days and compare like what I'm eating and use that as almost like a baseline for me. What are your thoughts on that? I would love to hear your thoughts on like that aspect of the recovery community. Yeah. So it's very tricky because there's I would say that there's three categories that content falls into, where it's like you have objectively constructive content, you have objectively destructive content, and then you kind of have the gray space in between them. And what I would constitute as objectively destructive content, which is, this is a controversial take, apparently, according to the internet, um, is that if you're posting before and after recovery content, any sick images of your body, like sick body checks that you took, that is objectively destructive. There Mm -hmm. is no benefit that that can provide to other people in eating disorder recovery. Mm -hmm. And so either you are showing like 
the people without mental illness, how well you did and like having them go, oh, good job. Or you are putting out triggering content for people in the recovery spaces you're claiming to serve. Mm -hmm. And so I'll openly say that I think before and after content is a socially acceptable form of inspo. Mm -hmm. And like, that's just what it is. Like no one needs to see your sick body check. No one benefits from that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that falls into the destructive category. What I think would be constructive is talking about your experiences in recovery in a way that can be utilized by other people, either starting or in their recovery journey. Mm -hmm. And sometimes gray area content will sway in between constructive and gray area, where it's like the people who post the bad things that their disorder made them do. Where like some of them can be really beneficial. Like I know personally, like I was kind of a shitty person when I was in my disorder. It's like I lied to people, I stole from people, um, I engaged in behaviors that just make me a bad person to do it. I triggered mm-hmm. strangers on the internet to make myself feel better about where I was in my disorder. Like that stuff where no one can look at it and glorify it. And so I think showing that side of the disorder from the recovery lens is constructive. But at the same time, there's a version of that where people are like, oh, it was so tough. Like my family was so worried about me. Like I was passing out all the time. I was just, I was so cold. Symptoms that people use to benchmark how sick they are and how good they're doing at their disorder. Mm -hmm. I, I think that then falls into the category where it's like, if people can use that to compare and it's something that the sick brain could want, then it it isn't fully constructive. I agree. There are people that can benefit from that kind of media. I agree. Honestly, I think too, that that media, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I just feel like that it romanticizes it. Like when it comes to body, like comparison photos and before and afters, and even like there are some TikTok trends. And again, like I participate in them. I will never post photos of my fully like sick body showing that because of that reason. I do think it just fuels almost like you need that reassurance that you were sick enough, that you deserved your recovery and where you're at now in that sense. But it almost romanticizes the idea of like, oh, this is what eating disorders look like. Oh, this is like, it it fuels the stereotype. It romanticizes not the ugly parts about the lying and the cheating and the betrayal and the isolation and like all of those things that come hand in hand with it. But I think that by people only showing that one side of it and looking for almost that affirmation to feel that they deserved and earned their recovery, that that fuels the eating disorders and people who are struggling with them to begin with because they either feel like that they need to reach that level or that like that's an obtainable level and that the consequences of an eating disorder aren't as drastic and the reality of them that they actually like are. Yeah. And I think that that also is coupled with the fact that it's so difficult to divorce the concept of a body from a restricted eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So those that are furthered by media and competition, mind you, there are like subsets of ARFID and other eating disorders that appear as a restrictive disorder that aren't really influenced by external feedback. Mm-hmm. But for those that are, which we know for a fact that like anorexia at least is directly influenced by the environment one is in. Yes. Um, it's impossible for within our current social and like cultural climate 
to fully divorce the concept of the body and the eating disorder, because that's the way that the media has portrayed restrictive eating disorders. Mm -hmm. Like everyone watched the documentaries in health class where it's like, you're always seeing the malnourished body and like, they're the poster child for anorexia. When ultimately, at least in the modern push for diagnostic criterion, the body is one of the least important parts Mm -hmm. of the diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And so when people online post about their sick bodies it's because they cannot divorce the concept that your body is not reflective of your eating disorder experience. It was the vessel in which the experience happened. But the behaviors and the thought processes are really what the issue is. But people don't want to post about those because it's so easy to take the piece that everyone's used to seeing, just the physical body, and share that. I just got legitimate goosebumps <laughs> from that sentence. The way that you worded that, it's so true. And you only like, it further emphasizes the idea that eating disorders are only about your body and it's only about the weight that you're at. And like, that's what they are. And it's not the actual full reality of the mental disorder behind it and the emotions and the trauma that it may be masking. And I think that's why that there is such a taboo like topic around conversations such as eating disorders because of that. And that continues to fuel it. In your opinion, after having this experience on in like social media that you have, how do we step away from that? And like, what do we do as a pro recovery community to further relay the message of the harm that eating disorders cause and the harm that's showing your sick bodies or your pro Anna sort of content on the internet? I think that one thing that I find that small creators tend to do a decent job with, but it's mostly the larger creators in recovery Mm -hmm. spaces that forget about this, is viewing the content that you're making through the lens of your sick self. Where it's like, would this have made me feel triggered when I was engaging in the disordered behaviors, would this make me feel inadequate in choosing to recover? Um, There's even the level of, would this make me feel like I cannot recover past the point this person is at? Where it's like, if you're, if you're posting how you're so fit in your recovery and like you're you're still the societal expectation of body images, Mm -hmm. but now you're eating food, will that make other people whose recovery may go past that physical point feel like they're doing something wrong if they don't stop where you're at. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of comments online along the lines of like other people aren't responsible for your triggers. And while I think to an extent that that is true, when it comes to protecting vulnerable communities especially children Mm -hmm. on social media Mm -hmm. apps where like children and teenagers are rampant. I think that it falls on the individual creator to ensure that the vulnerable community that they're trying to make content for, they're openly claiming to be making eating disorder recovery content that they are responsible for the triggers of other people, at least the general level one triggers. Like if someone has a really specific issue where it's like, I see someone eating fruit and that just, it just sets me off. It's just a behavior mental trigger. That's not really something that one can avoid, but there's enough baseline issues where it's like showing malnourished bodies, 
talking about what you're eating in a way that like isn't meeting at the bare minimum how much your body needs to run and be active for a day yeah. or not eating enough nutritional density, showing rigorous behaviors around fitness, especially like with how common the switch from anorexia to orthorexia. I was literally, when you were talking about it, that's all I could think about. I was like the people that are in the pro recovery community, but are still very, very much obviously engaging in orthorexic behaviors. And the eating disorder has almost just turned itself into like that pipe. They say that there's like that pipeline from like eating disorder to like bodybuilder, like, and like lifting type of person. And that's just another, exactly, exactly. It's just another form of showing of like controlling the way that your body looks, but in a more diet culturally accepted way. Uh, yeah. And yeah. so it's like, if you think that the content that you're putting out could be classified as fitspo for like people within the orthorexic lens, that isn't a constructive way to share your body movement. And like, this also isn't to say that media shouldn't exist in the recovery space. Mm-hmm. I just think that taking the focus away from how your body looks, like if you want to talk about your workouts, that's fantastic. Like, I I think that mindful body movement can be a really constructive part of people's lives. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a reason that there are people in the fitness community that have completely ordered relationships with their mind and body and still enjoy doing it. Do you watch Linda's son? I do not. Oh, she's a YouTuber. And she has, like, it's showing, like, she's in recovery, too. And I feel like that she's a good example of, like, showing her love for fitness, but in a very, like, healthy, joyful movement type of way. Yeah, where it's like focusing on how it makes your body feel Mm -hmm. when you do it or what you're trying to feel strong when you do. Maybe you don't want it to hurt when you're carrying the grocery bags home from Trader Joe's. And so you want to like put a little bit of arm pump into your workout. Mm -hmm. Focusing on those elements where it's like, oh, like like a month ago today, I couldn't carry these bags and now I haven't Ubered back from the grocery store in like two months. Yeah. And like that stamina, baby. Like stuff like that, where you're taking it away from the body. I think that that's really helpful. And there's also like recovery challenges within the restricted eating disorder space that you can focus on like in late stage recovery. Mm-hmm. Like I know it's like recently as the past couple of months, I personally was grappling with the concept that for years I had just been like, I hate children. I don't want to have children. I don't want to do it anti-children. And Mm -hmm. now I've come to terms with the fact that most of my dislike for children comes from the idea of both the weight of motherhood in the societal eye, where the way that society views mothers and how that becomes your identity, coupled with the uncontrollable changes that will occur with my body Mm -hmm. during that time. And so I'm currently working on like unpacking that because if I want to have children at a point in the future, which I still don't know if I will, but Mm -hmm. if I do, I don't want to have to further delay into a period where it could become like a less safe pregnancy because I, at like 27, need to start working on why I view the maternal body as bad or as worse than my current body. Yeah. Oh, and, and that's like a whole other topic in itself, like the maternal body and the idea that women are not allowed to age, but like men yeah, and, and like, well, um, it's thirty, you lose all your value. Yeah, um, uh, uh, like <laughs> struggles that don't involve being like, oh, I don't like how my stomach looks. Here's a photo of my stomach. Mm-hmm. Like, there's ways to be like, I think that I'm carrying fat in areas of my body that aren't viewed as societally acceptable, and I'm worried that as a woman. 
my value to society is going down. And so I'm now grappling with how to be okay with, even if that is the case, acknowledging that that does not impact my actual internal worth. Mm -hmm. And so it's, in my opinion, it's all about phrasing, where it's just like, you should be thinking consciously about how to trigger as few people when you're producing recovery content. Uh, I agree. I completely agree. I have everything that you've said this whole entire episode. I am blown away. I feel like I'm learning so much. And I hope that if you're listening that you're thoroughly entertained and learning so much too, because I think that this is such an important topic that people don't talk about. Like people never talk about it. I feel like that as a recovery community and an eating disorder community, we're, everybody's aware of it. We know that these like communities exist and that this is like a part of the history of the population, like popularity, popularity of eating disorders, like growing and everything, but nobody ever talks about it and talks about the reality and the problems that arise because of it and like how we are like now and like how they're still like coming up and affecting the recovery communities and the new wave of youth that are going to be like affected by this. My final question for you is what advice would you give to those people who are starting their recovery journeys, who may be in that sort of community that isn't the healthiest for them? What would you give them? Words of encouragement, advice, your final thoughts? So I'm, I'm a really firm proponent of harm reduction. Mm-hmm. I think that it's, especially in an internet space that seems to be portraying all-in recovery. Can you define the, harm reduction? Yes. Harm reduction is where you take in, in opposition to all in, which is just you cut all of the disordered behaviors and thoughts and you fully commit yourself to recovery 100%. Mm-hmm. Harm reduction is the baby step version of that, okay. where you pick pieces of your disorder that are not serving you and you cut away those pieces chunk by chunk rather than just saying no more disorder, disorder gone. You're like, okay, I can acknowledge that the biggest issue right now is that I'm not getting enough nourishment in it. And it's impacting how I'm doing in my classes. For example, I am going to work on eating as much as I need to, at the bare minimum, do my classes. And then once you hit that step, you're like, okay, I've stagnated. I feel that I've confidently achieved that goal. Now what is most impacting me? And I'll choose that next thing and I'll tackle that. And so it's just, it's taking an incremental process rather than fully jumping into recovery because I feel like that's just setting up a majority of people to fail. Yeah. Where it's like if you, and you see this even within like diet culture, where it's like if you give someone a full lifestyle change and you're like, make it right now. You don't have any of the tools to do it. You don't have any of the foundation, but just make the change. They're not going to be able to successfully do that unless they're just simply built different. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that hoping that people are built different is a sustainable recovery approach. And so especially for people who are like, oh, like I want to recover eventually, but just not right now. I think that harm reduction is a good step where it's like any disordered behavior that you cut out is benefiting you. And so even if it's just like walking less in a day, eating more in a day, getting more fluids in, taking a multivitamin, just things that will serve your body and get the energy that it needs to start processing a fuller recovery. I also think that on the topic of social media, 
do not enter media spaces, especially if you've been in like pro ED or not recovery spaces, do not enter them without supervision and support. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be a return where you think independently that you're ready. You tell no one that you're going back to it, no one in your support circle or like your clinical team. And you just do it because you think you're ready. Because if you're ready, they will agree with you and they will support and help monitor your decision. And so if you feel the need to go back secretly, there's probably a reason your disorder wants you to keep it a secret. And if you see content online that is triggering, as much as it may be tempting to point out why it is triggering, be like, oh, this is an obvious body check. People in the comments will fight you on it. And while you see it and everyone else likely sees it, who is knowledgeable in recovery spaces, it's usually not worth the effort to try to justify why a piece of media is disordered. And so if you do not feel rock solid in your recovery, just focus on your own. Other people are going to clown on the internet. And at the end of the day, we can tell them they're clowning, but if they don't want to stop and they don't want to listen, they're not going to. And so save your energy for yourself. Uh. I love everything you just said. I'd never heard of that whole like counter idea to all in. And I have a lot of friends who have either tried the all in or like done the all in. And it is a very like daunting thing. And I think that the harm reduction idea seems so much more obtainable and like longevity in recovery. I love that. Thank you so much for bringing that to the podcast. I, that's an amazing idea when it comes to recovery. Yeah. I know, I know personally for the weight restoration process, I didn't have a clinical team up until I was already weight restored. And so Harm reduction, in my opinion, is also significantly easier to do on your own. Mm-hmm. Where all in, in my opinion, usually needs some sort of like support medical team yeah. on board. And so I'd also highly recommend it for people who are trying like grassroots recovery. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Samantha, you're an amazing person. Do you know that? Do you do you know how cool you are? Like, I feel like you're a recovery icon queen with all of this knowledge. And I'm utterly now obsessed with you. And I'm so happy that we now have this friendship relationship because (laughs) I'm so literally glad. And I would, I'm excited to get to continue to talk about recovery things with you because I think you have such an amazing insight and knowledge about all of this. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. There's one more thing we got to do our final wrap up. So Samantha, how are you going to take care of yourself tonight? Tonight, I'm going to take care of myself by getting back into my hydration routine. Um, post-COVID because I kind of slipped while I was sick and then spend some time eating pizza and playing Mario Kart with my former housemate. Heck yes. I'm obsessed. I'm going to have a movie night with Sedona. That's my Wait, what movie are you doing? I think I'm going to watch the one that's like, I'm not okay. The new one with Zoe. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 She's my favorite, one of my favorite actresses. So I'm quite excited to watch that one. So I think we're going to watch that and just have like a relaxing little like cuddle in pajama party night. So that's how I'm going to recoup from today. But thank you again so much for being on the podcast. Anybody listening, we're proud of you. And there's always resources in our bio. If you think that you are needing that extra amount of support. Know that we are your community. You have a community with us. We are here for you. We support you and we're proud of you. And way to eat that fucking food. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Samantha. Thank you for having me. Of course, goodbye. I'll talk to y'all next week.